This morning we're going to be in uh, Genesis chapter 1, so you can turn there while, while you're turning there. Let me just tell you, I, I want to keep in front of you THX. THX is our event uh, once a year that we do where we get names from the school district of people who are in need, and then we take them a fully cooked Thanksgiving meal, uh, a tree, and some gifts, and some fixings, and things like that on Thanksgiving morning. I told you last week that we have a, a number of sponsors, including um, uh, C.D. Redding, who uh, recently just donated like $5,000 uh, to this. Um, uh, here's how you can help us is get the word out. And there's, there's pamphlets out on uh, Connect Central or the Welcome Wagon, as our Connect people like to call it. And uh, you could grab one of those pamphlets, take it to your boss and say, we've got to do this. And so uh, you guys could uh, sponsor, sponsor a family. You could uh, come and serve one day uh, for a couple of hours with employees from your work. And uh, that would be an awesome thing. So we'd love to see you at that. One of the biggest things that we need to do as a church is we need to sponsor families. And that's uh, $80 per family. And so you may not be able to sponsor a whole family, and that's okay. Uh, but maybe um, God has blessed you financially, and you could sponsor more than one or something along uh, those levels. And by the way, whatever you make, God, they, it is all a blessing from God. I should clarify that. And so uh, we want to sponsor these families. We're, we're taking on close to, uh, it might be around 400 by the time we get done. We'll, we'll see how it all shakes out. Um, we get a number of names. Some of them drop out, then others are added and things like that. So it's going to be around 400. We could do up to 800, but right now this is what we got from the school district. And so uh, we're excited about this. We're excited to be a part of it. I'm hoping that you guys are getting geared up, that you're budgeting for this. Um, we talked last week just about having a budget and, and talking about your finances and, and working on those things. And so um, we want to encourage you to have a budget for generosity this uh, holiday season. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 1. And Genesis chapter 1 is, is a little bit uh, difficult to understand in some ways, but in other ways it isn't. See, Genesis 1 was not written to uh, modern-day Americans. I don't know if you know this or not, but it was, it was written, we believe, at about 1500 B.C., and it was written to uh, Israel and for Israel. It was, it was written to God's people Israel as a result of what's going on in their world and in their time. And it's also written in their language. And so uh, the, it was written in Hebrew. And as a result, what you find out is that sometimes things are hard to translate. There's not like a, a, an English equivalent to this Hebrew word. And so there's, there's some, a variation of meaning sometimes in these things. But the book of Genesis is so incredibly important. It is so incredibly important because it creates the foundation for who we are as, as God's people, who we are as individuals. And in fact, I would go so far as to say this, and that is that if the book of Genesis were more prominent in our lives and in, and in the way that we dealt with uh, everyday life and how we see ourselves in this world and all of these things, we would be people who are way better off perhaps than we are. Our world is suffering today because of a misunderstanding or no understanding or no uh, view of the book of Genesis, especially uh, the first several chapters. Because in the first several chapters, what you see is that you see this God who is in charge of all things because he has created all things. 
And as a result, what we see is we see that I, I am not the most important thing. I'm getting into my sermon here, and I should just be in the intro. But what, what we see is that it is incredibly important. When you look at our world today, and you look at the number of suicides that are taking place, there's at least two that happened recently at uh, uh, Sprague High School. Just devastating. Devastating. I, I, I think they were just a short period of time apart from one, uh, one another. And then I believe there was another one earlier than that. Like, what's going on in our world? What's happening with people? Why are we falling apart? Why is our society seemingly falling apart? Why, what, is, what is happening in our minds that there has never been more access to information. There's never been more access to people saying that, uh, that you are valued and, and uh, you're important and all, all of these things, these self-help things, these hotlines that you can call if you're dealing with uh, suicidal tendencies. There's, there's groups of people, but there's never been more, it seems, suicide. It, it seems like there's never been more depression. It seems like there's never been more problem in our world than there is today. And why is that? We're all, our, our world has no explanation for it. The only thing that our world can say is that it can say, you know, people are just doing bad things. Or we might say, you know, the other political party has just ramped things up so much, and so they're at fault for this. And both sides really uh, say this to one another. Or we could say uh, all, all kinds of things. You know, it's those dang Christians who just insist on this way of life. It's their fault that these things are happening. Or, or we, could, we could say that it's, it's the corporations. They're making too much money, and so let's uh, tear down the corporations or something. Or you say it's, it's those darn immigrants, you know, those immigrants that come into this, this world, and they screw everything up for us Americans, and it's just creating cont a contentious environment. I mean, there's just, there's a litany of things that we could blame our problems on, and isn't that our issue? We're always blaming our problems on everyone else. If you've got problems in your marriage, oftentimes, if you come and talk to me, it's not going to be you that has the problem most of the time. It's going to be, you know what, if she would just, or if he would just, we, we just don't take responsibility for those things. Genesis 1 helps us understand why we need to take responsibility and what God has done as a result. Genesis 1 is so incredibly important, and we're not just preaching on Genesis 1, Genesis uh, the book. We'll probably go through the first 11 chapters at least. We may go on beyond that. We're going to do at least the first 11 chapters. We'll see how long it takes me. Sometimes I stretch things out a little too far, um, but uh, that's, that's our plan. Genesis is so incredibly important. It talks about uh, where all things came from. It talks about uh, rest, Sabbath, why we need rest. It talks about work, what your work should look like. Is work a curse? Should we all just hope that we win the lottery? Should we all just have enough faith? so that we don't have to, have to work and then God will bless us with millions of dollars or whatever we need. It, it talks to us about our gender. It talks to us about uh, how to respond accordingly to the gender that God has created you. It talks about marriage and in some ways what, that, what, what each gender, how they correspond in the context of marriage. It talks about where sin came from. It talks about where we as individuals 
and as humanity went wrong, it talks about the, the origin of sin and what God's going to do about it. It's, there, there are so many things in here that are so incredibly important. And I, and I just got to tell you this. This is too important for you to go to church once a month. It's too important for you not to be at church. So I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm going to ask you to go to church every week. I'm going to ask you to cancel plans. I'm going to ask you to, uh, to decide not to go do that thing. And I'm going, to, I'm, I'm going to ask you to be a part of God's people. And don't just attend, but come and serve. I'm going to ask you to, to give, to go and serve. We talked about that last, last week. But to, but to go and to be a part of God's people and be a part of the Word of God. Here's what helps us. When we hear the Word of God together, we all process it together, and we understand it. What happens is this, is that we believe that the Word of God actually changes us. We believe that it changes us from the inside out. The basis of your Christian life is rooted in the story of Genesis. The basis of your Christian life. If you've never understood it, if you, and even if you have, you need to hear the Word of God preached. If, 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 if that is not present in your mind, if you don't return to the story of Genesis often, if you've been here for any amount of time, you know that we talk about Genesis 3 a lot. We talk about the book of Genesis a lot. There's so much in here. And so I want to encourage you to be at church more than once a month, to be at church four weeks a month or five weeks, if it's a five-week month, or something like that. And I'm just going to boldly ask you to be a part of it. So Genesis chapter 1, let's, uh, let's read here, beginning in verse 1. It says this, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Why, why would we stop right there? Why would we do that? Well, it's because of this, it's because it's breaking through everything that's going on in our world, and it's, it's coming right out and saying that this book is not about me and you primarily. It is about how this God created all things. It is a book about God. It is a book about him and about his nature. Do you know God? Do you have relationship with him? Are you struggling with that? Have you grown up in a Christian home and you say, you know what, I don't really have a testimony. I don't really have anything to talk about. Like nothing really extravagant has happened in my life. And the honest truth is that you've grown up as an American Christian probably. And you grew up thinking that the Bible was about you. And I want to tell you that your faith is dead because you believe that it is about you. But it is not about you. It is about God. It is primarily about God. And when we understand that it's about God, we understand how we relate to this God. But without understanding that first and understanding what's going on here, we completely miss the point. So you may have this dead faith. Or you may be somebody who's wondering, is there a God? Is, is there truth in and through this, is there what's what's going on here? You know, why does the world happen the, the way that it is? And what I can tell you is this: is that it ultimately has to do with this God, the God of the Bible, the Hebrew God, the God of Israel. This God, He is the one who can explain to you the mysteries of life. You may not understand all of them, but it can. He can explain these things to you. You can understand them. 
he can bring this about. Where we get caught up oftentimes is this, is that when we come into the book of Genesis, the first thing that we want to ask and the arguments that happen over and over again is how did God create everything? Let me read the rest of the verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Another way of saying that would be that he created all things out of nothing and he created the universe. He created all matter. Everything that you see, he created it. And what we get caught up in is that if we have a scientific mind, we say, but how could that possibly happen? Because what I clearly see, and I'm speaking of somebody who is very much into science and evolution and things like that, you might say, you know, but how can that be? Because I know about science. Now, me personally, I know nothing about science. I hated science. I remember chemistry class. I remember beakers and pouring things in beakers and mixing things and things coming out of beakers and uh, stuff like that. I mean, lots of fire and stuff like that. Um, that was just at my table, but, um, you know, I mean, but I was not into chemistry or into science. I hated it. It smells in there. It's, I don't know what it is. It the, is it the frogs that people are dissecting or, you know, what is it? It is, it's, it's gross. I don't like it. Um, I hate science, but you might like science and I don't want to criticize that, you know. Um, it's a good thing to like, but what we get caught up in is how could this have happened? How did God go about creating these things? And there's a number of creation theories. There's six key creation theories. We're not going to get into those because of this. The book of Genesis is not a science book. It's not. It was not intended to be a science book. It was not intended to show us science as it were. It's not showing us how specifically did this happen. It's telling us that it did happen. It would be like if, uh, if uh, I were to tell you I went and washed my car. I, wa I, I, I washed my car. You might want to know, like, how did you have your car washed? Did you take it to a car wash? Did you, uh, did you rub it down with your hands? Did you use a wash brush? Did you use a cloth? Did you use a sponge? Did you use soap? Did you wax it? Did you scrub the wheels? Like, how did it, how did it happen? But I'm not answering that. All I'm saying is I washed my car. I'm telling you nothing else. The car is washed and it's clean. Genesis, likewise, does not tell us the intricate details of how things were created. It tells us that things are created. And what's more important is this, it's not about how, but it's who and what and why. This is what we miss. It's not about how specifically, it's about who and what and why. Now, my personal view has always been that I'm a literal six-day guy. I believe that God spoke. I have that much faith. He's sovereign. He's in control. He rules over all. And he has created all things out of nothing. That's my personal view. I cannot guarantee that. 
There are so many good people, and some, some of you may be so adamant about these things, and I just want to encourage you to back off being adamant about something that it does not specifically speak to. So we can have inferences, we can have ideas about it, we can have an opinion, but these are things for opinion, they are not things for gospel truth. Here's the other thing that happens is this, is that because it hasn't been specifically laid out exactly what method God used, because it's not specifically telling us whether it just appeared. I don't know if you ever saw the show, I think it was from the 50s or the 60s, uh, I Dream of Jeannie, uh, when she would be like, Ding, you know, like that, and like something would appear or whatever. I mean, that's my view of God. I think God can do that. And, and I think you see that in Scripture, that God just, he's not a genie and uh, an attractive blonde gal in a, a genie outfit. But um, totally distracted myself. Uh, he, he is not that. Get that image out of your head for a second. Uh, he, but I believe that he can. I believe that he can. Because I have faith in the scriptures that God can do whatever he wants, however he wants. When we get wrapped up in how, too many things take place. There's a really great author. His name is John Walton. He's written a, some fantastic books. I forgot to bring the title up here with me. It's probably in my footnotes here, and I can't. Recall it, but John Walton, you got to remember that. John Walton. If you're somebody who is, who is uh, perhaps you're in uh, the, the school district, you're a teacher, you teach things. Perhaps you're somebody who has a friend who deeply believes in evolution and you want to understand how would I communicate uh, the scriptures to this person. Uh, John Walton does an, an incredibly fantastic job of exposing those things. So remember that name, John Walton, and he does uh, some amazing work in exposing what's actually going on in Genesis and some possibilities that are there as well, including thea theistic uh, uh, evolution, so God-guided evolution. I personally don't believe that. I don't even like using those words, but I just want to tell you that this guy, solid believer in Jesus Christ, and yet he shows some possibilities not just in that line, but in other ways. So we get too locked up in how. What we need to be locked up in is who and what and why. So who are we talking about? Who, we're talking about this God. We're talking about the God of Israel. Now think about uh, is Israel as a people group. Uh, they believe that Moses, uh, in fact, the New Testament scriptures uh, show this as well as some in the uh, Old Testament, show that Moses is the author of the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch is just another fancy word for uh, a five-book series. It is the first five books of the Old Testament. It is often referred to as Moses, as in Moses wrote all of it. And so Moses, being God's leader in Israel, takes them uh, through the sea away from uh, Egypt as they're uh, getting away, and then they go into the desert, and God's you know, writing on tablets, and Moses is smashing them, and uh, all, all of this stuff. But Moses is writing these scriptures while he's carried along by God. So he's writing the words of God. God is giving him these words uh, to speak, to write down. And what we believe is this, is that he also wrote Genesis. And so he's writing Genesis, and he's exposing here for these people that are in this time, a particular people, in a particular time, in a particular place, and he's exposing for them the truth. Now, many commentators will tell you this, that Genesis, uh, especially chapter 1, 
sounds like and looks like it is an argument. It's an argument that is basically con- contrasting with the beliefs, with the myths of that day. There were, at that time, other creation stories, commonly believed things about the pantheon of gods and how they created all things. But Genesis 1, what they call it, is an argument or a polemic against everything that's being taught to them. They're in this world of Egypt, and they're hearing all of these creation stories. They're talking about God and the meaning of life and all of these things, and how did these things get here? And so they come up with all of these crazy views about all different kinds of things, and it's really no different than our world today. As we surmise and as we make up things in our minds and as our world uh, attributes value to these people and not to these people, whoever those people are, and we see all of these things, we are making assumptions and we are asserting things about the created order and the way that God intended those things, but that is, but that is devoid of the scriptures, that, that's devoid of the truth. And so... He is telling this story to a particular people in a particular place in a particular time. And so what we can't do is we can't use 21st century information or thinking to understand what's happening in 1500 B.C. That's, it's really important. So the way to understand Genesis is to understand that it is being placed in front of these people and shown that this is actually what happened. And the way that it's written down, although it may be difficult to understand, although it may be uh, like, well, why does it say that? And why does it say this story twice and all of these things? Well, here's the thing. It made perfect sense to these people in this place in this time. And we know that because when you look at other uh, poetry and literature and things like that from that day, that these things make sense in their context and their place. So what we want to know is, uh, but who and what and why? Who is this God and what what has he done and what is he doing? Go back to the beginning. It says, in the beginning, God created God created the heavens and the earth. One thing that you must know is this, is that we're not talking about how God came in and he like took a little bit of this and he took a little bit of that and he, and he, and he created all of these things. No, it's God who created something out of nothing. Uh, commentators and scholars call this ex nihilo. That's the word created there is really speaking to this. It's saying it, it's, it's a new creation. It's something that is caused to be new. It's not something that was there and was changed. That is in contrast to all of the creation myths of that time, which as they were creating these other gods, these pagan gods, um, these myths, right, that they created something out of something. But God is the one who creates something out of nothing. It is this God. Something else to be noticed here is this, is that the word God there is Elohim. Elohim. But Israel's God's name, our God, is Yahweh. His name is Yahweh. Elohim is the word for God. It would be just like today. What God do you serve? The the God of Buddha or Muhammad or whatever God that it is. It's the same thing here, 
where Moses is communicating, he's saying, in the beginning, God created. Instead of saying the Lord God or Yahweh or what have you, he's, he's calling their attention to this, that this is actually how the story goes. It is, it is God. Elohim, the true, the living God, is the same God, Yahweh, which he's going to bring back up in uh, chapter 2, verse 4. He's, he's talking about the Lord God there. And Israel's thinking to themselves, they're, they're thinking, okay, the God who created everything is the Lord God, is Yahweh Elohim. He is that God. That's the God that saved us out of Israel. That's the God who sustains us. That's the God who causes all things to be. He's the one who created all things. So this is the God we're talking about. Who? Who is this? It's this God. It's Yahweh from the scriptures. It's, it's this God that we serve and that we follow. This, the created order did not come um, just because of a bunch of gods decided to do this. It came because Elohim intentionally, intentionally did this. Verse 2 tells us a little bit about what. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, without form and void, it, and, and this idea of darkness is talking about, it is, it is talking about chaos. It's talking about nothingness. It's talking about a disordered thing. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God comes in, boom, it's there. How? We don't know. We just know that this God, Elohim, uh, uh, Yahweh Elohim, the Lord God, he is the one who created the heavens and the earth. He's the one who created the universe. And so then he says the earth was without form and void. It was nothingness. It was chaotic. There was darkness there. There wasn't anything that could happen there. It just, it, it was lifeless. It had nothing there. It just was there because he said it was there, and God is the one who created it. And so this darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Think about what's happening here. You've got God, the Father, who is creating and the Spirit of God is there. He is there. And then when you, when you go to John chapter 1, verse 1 and following, John says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the, and the Word was God. He was there in the beginning with God. By Him all things were created. Without Him was not anything created that has been created. Like that's, that's amazing because what John is saying here is he's saying that God that, that is also Jesus and the Spirit of God, they're all there. They're all there. They're all creating. And the Word of God is going out. The action of God is taking place. And He is creating. And so we have, who are we talking about? We're talking about this God, Yahweh God. He's the Trinitarian God. And He is the one who is creating something out of nothing. He is the one who is taking chaos and disorder and darkness and he's doing something with it he's doing something amazing with it why is that important 
Is your life disordered and chaotic and dark? In the far reaches of your heart and in your thoughts and in the things that are going on, do you know about the darkness? Do you know about the chaos? What are your relationships like with your fellow man, your fellow woman? What's your marriage like? Are you guys battling it out? Are you fighting all the time? Are you guys yelling at each other? Do you have malice towards other people? Is there disorder? Is there chaos? Is there darkness? Hold that thought. It says this. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Spurgeon says this. It's even simpler or more simple in the Hebrew. And God said, light be, light was. And God said, light be, light was. God is the one who creates. There is darkness, there is chaos, there's disorder, and God walks in and he says, light be, and light was. The lights come on. Now think about that for a second. God doesn't have to do anything in order for this to take place. He doesn't have to flip a switch. He doesn't have to pull an app out and turn the lights on. He doesn't have to do anything like this. God says, light be, and light was. And I guess we can turn on lights with Alexa now or whatever that is. So uh, you're a little bit like God now. Good for you. Uh, yeah. You know she's listening to you all the time, just like God. But um, um, uh, where was I? Okay. And God says, light be, let there be light. And there was light. God speaks this into being. What is he doing? First we said who. Now we're talking about what. What is he doing? Well, if you look at the last, the last verse, verse 2, he says the earth was without form and void. It was without form and it's without void. And with void, I should say. So what is God doing here? If you, if you were to continue down as we go through the, the six days of creation, what you would see is this, is that God in the first three days is forming. He is forming something. It's without form. God is forming his creation. He's the one who is forming his creation. He's causing it to take shape. He's taken a lump of clay he sat it on the, whatever that turntable is, that uh, potter, pottery wheel. Is that right? That should not have been this difficult. Okay. Uh, so <laughs> the pottery wheel. The only place that I, the thing that comes to mind is the movie Ghost. Um, but, uh, okay, so God, he takes, <laughs> he, he takes the clay and he puts it on the, the pottery wheel. Is that right? Okay. Um, and he begins to form it. God is taking something that has no form and he's putting form to it. He's he's taking something that is void, that is nothingless, that is empty, and he's filling it. So he's forming and he's filling. First three days are about forming. The last three days are about filling. Do you know what you and I need? Because when we are in chaos, when we are in darkness, when we have no light, do you know what we need? 
We need the God who created the universe out of nothing. He created something out of nothing. Do you know what's in our hearts before we come to Jesus Christ? It's nothingless. It's formless. I'm not saying that you don't have inherent value, that you don't have inherent uh, dignity. I'm not saying that you don't have those things if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ. We'll get to uh, the creation of man as we've been created in the image and likeness of God that inherently gives you dignity, worth, and value regardless of whether you even say yes to God or not. What I'm talking about is this, is that without Jesus Christ, without God in your life, you are formless. You are empty. You have no life in you. You are formless and void. And you need to be formed and you need to be filled. And this is the God that we're talking about. Do you see where I'm going here? The same God that creates all things can create something new in you. The same God who has, who has created this in, in, incredible world for us. That we wake up in the morning on days like this that are just absolutely crazy to see the sun in October. And you wake up and you see the sunrise or, or you, you see the, the color change of the trees. And you go, what in the world? This is, this is so uh, awesome. It's so incredible. Do you know that you're worshiping God? Do you know that that's the God who can form you and can fill you? He can both form you and fill you. He can form you into a new creation. He can fill you with life, which is what he does. And it says this, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. Something that you should notice is this. Is that the sun and the moon are not created for a few more days. Where'd the light come from? Aha! See, I knew it was a lie. He didn't create the sun and, there's no, and he's saying that there's light that can't be. No, a couple things. It's not... To us, it's to Israel. Israel understood it. Israel understood what was happening. But the other thing that we need to see is this, is that God inherently has light in and of himself. God inherently has light in and of himself. And as a result, what happens is this, is that God does not need the sun. God does not need the moon in order to create light and darkness. God is light in and of himself, and he speaks it into being. And here's another reason why we're not talking about the sun yet, and then the sun isn't even mentioned by name. Doesn't use the word for sun. I believe it's in verse 16. Doesn't even use the word for sun. It says the greater light, and then it says the lesser light. You mean the sun and the moon? Yeah, but really what they are is a light. It's just a light. Why would he do that? In those days, there was a sun god, and there was a moon god, and there was gods all over the place. And what's, what's this saying? 
God doesn't need, Elohim does not need, the true Elohim does not need the Son. The Son gives nothing to the true and living God. The Son doesn't give that. God is the one who brings it in and of himself. What's the translation of that? You need nothing but the true and the living God to bring about light in your life. You do not need other gods. You don't need to, to, to bring up these other things and to say, okay, yeah, I really need this or I really need that. No, what you need is you need the God. You need to understand the who, not the how, specifically, other than that God spoke it into being. How did he do it? We don't know. We don't need the how, we need the who. We need the what and we need the why. What, did he, what does he create? He creates something out of nothing. He speaks and, it's, and it, it is living. It is being. It exists. Now, let me help you see something. The Apostle Paul made this connection as well. 2 Corinthians 4.6. For God, let me say it again, 2 Corinthians 4.6. You don't need to turn there. Maybe the PowerPoint guy can put it up there. But for God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Oh, the Apostle Paul makes a connection for us. And that is, what should you be getting from the creation story? It's who, it's what, but it's why. Why? Why did Moses write this down for them? Because of the why. Look at it again. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ Here's the thing, you must have the light that can only come from this God. You must have his light pervading your soul because of this. Spurgeon says, you cannot see yourself for what you truly are. You cannot see your sin for what it truly is, and you cannot see your Savior for who he truly is. Why? To show you his glory. To give it, he has shown in our hearts. Why? To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. See, what we do is this. We look at our life and we say, this is normal. It's, it's fine. This is the way that life goes. I've got these battles that I'm fighting. It's just, it's just part of life. Some of you don't even know that you're in the midst of a battle. Some of you don't even know what you're up against. You're, you're playing with sin. You're steeped in greed. Materialism is, is at an all-time high. You mistreat your spouse. You're not living rightly. You're sleeping with people that are not your spouse, or you're not married yet, and you're involved in that. There's no light in your life. You're not seeing for it for what it is. You're not seeing the dreadful pull of death on your life. You're not seeing and feeling and knowing 
how this world, it really is getting you down. It really is drawing you into this vortex of chaos and darkness and nothingness. And you, at times, go to church to make yourself feel a little bit better, but you're in darkness, you're in chaos, you're in nothingness. Your heart, it's, it's, it's nothing. You have no sense of God in your life. You have no conviction of sin. You have no commitment to him as God. You give him just a little bit of your, of your, your hopes, your trust. It's a fire insurance for you, if you will, but I want to tell you, it's no fire insurance at all because you don't know the God of the universe. Light hasn't been shined in your life. You can't see yourself for what you truly are. You can't see your sin for what it truly is, and you definitely have not seen your Savior because your Savior is not Jesus Christ. Your Savior is money, sex, and power. Your Savior is success. Your Savior is whatever it is. Your Savior might even be church. Your Savior might be something else, but it isn't Jesus Christ, and you're not glorifying God the Father because of the light that he can show in your life. In, in, in your life. This is what Christians must see. This is what people who don't know Jesus must see. Why does God show us this? Why is he revealing himself to us in, these, in this way? And so that we can see him for who he is. That we can see that this is not a book about me. It's a book about him. And as I get to know him, what happens is this, is I find out how I relate to him, how I correspond to this God, how I get to know him. It is as though God is showing us his scriptures it is as though Moses was writing, and he's saying, hey, do you want to meet the artist? Do you want to meet the one that you have enjoyed? Do you want to meet the one whose creation you are excited about? Do you want to meet that one? Do you want to meet the artist? Do you want to see him? Or will you take credit for his artistry? Your gifts, your skills, your abilities, the things that you enjoy. Will you put them off and say, you know what, that happened by accident, even though nothing in your life has happened by accident of any value? Will you, will you continue to do what Romans chapter 1 says, to worship and serve the created thing rather than the creator? Will you continue to walk away from him? Will you continue to fight against him? Or will you allow him to expose in you the chaos and the darkness, the chaos and the darkness and the void that is there. Because God, this God, Yahweh, Elohim, the Lord God, the one who saves Israel, that God has come to you today and he is showing you something. And that is that he can bring light into the darkest place. He can show you who you really, truly are. You have been created in the image of God. You have inestimable value and dignity. There's nothing else that must happen to you. 
There's nothing else that you can do or must do in order to bring about the, the incredible value that you have as an image bearer. Children born in the womb are image bearers. Immigrants are image bearers. The person in the other political party is an image bearer. You are an image bearer. This is your true self. You are created by this God. But it shows us our sin. It shows us the depth of it. They're not just little white lies. It is against God. It's against this God, the one who created the universe. It should cause us to recoil. It should cause us to, to say, oh, I, I, I don't want to be there. It should show you where you are in relation to this God. It should show you what must happen in your life. It should show you that you should beg for mercy from him. And when you get to that point and you see yourself for who you tr truly are, and when you get to that point when you see your sin for what it truly is, then and only then can you cry out to the creator God and say, what must I do to be saved? And he will respond and say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved because the God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in your heart. Otherwise, you wouldn't see your need for a savior. You wouldn't see your sin for what it is. You wouldn't see yourself for who you truly are. You would never see it. The light who let light shine out of darkness has shown in your heart when that comes true. And in order to give you the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, do you want that light in your life? Do you want true light in your life? Enough of this, this Christianity that revolves around just listening to worship music occasionally, occasionally attending church, stuff like that. That God has shown in your heart where is your faith in him? Do you follow him? Do you walk after him? That is what we should be confronted in when it says, in the beginning, God, that God, he created all things. Don't you see? Pray that you will. But see, because he can shine in your hearts with the gospel of Jesus Christ, which not only shows you your sin, but saves you from your sin. He can save you from your sin. Where are you at? What have you done? What are you dealing with? You don't think you're dealing with anything? I bet you this. I'll bet you it's pride. I'll bet you it's pride of your upbringing, of your pedigree. I was raised in the church. I don't really do anything wrong. The pride of thinking that you can live life without your Savior. What, if, what, are, what are you involved in? What are you a part of? He can save you from that. How does he do that? The God who said, let light shine out of darkness, sends the Son, God in the flesh, and the Son goes to the cross, even though he lives perfectly, even though he's the creator, all things were created by him. Without him was not anything made that has been made. 
The creator went to the cross for you. The creator was brought to nothing so that your nothingness could be dealt with. The creator experienced chaos so that you could experience peace. The creator experienced an excruciating death so that you will experience eternal, blissful life with him. Don't you want to know him? Don't you want to walk with him? He went to the cross for you. He died for you. Will you trust him today? You say, I've already trusted him. I, I prayed a prayer a long time ago. Go on trusting him. Trust him more and more. You didn't lose your salvation. I'm betting. We don't believe that here. You've lost sight of it. Perhaps. Let's pray. God, you are so good to show us yourself. Oh God, you are, you are so good to turn on the lights, to speak light into our lives, that we may see who you are, that we may see what you've done, and that we may see why you've done it. Lord God, would you speak truth to us now? Lord, that you'd bring conviction where there needs to be conviction. Lord, as we repent over our sin and confess it to you, Lord, we know that you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, it says in 1 John 1, 9. Lord, may we claim that as your truth. May we claim that for ourselves. Lord Jesus, I'm praying for passionate people that care about your people, that attend, that more than just attend, but are a part of the community of faith. Lord, would you stir in us a passion to be a part of what you're doing in your church. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Uh, every Sunday